Welcome to Live the Fuel, where we fuel your health, business, and lifestyle. And now your host, Scott Mulvaney. All right, good day, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to a new Live the Fuel show here in 2021. So I'm excited to bring on some, uh, some virtual conversation tonight, literally, since this is the way of life here in 2021 and 2020, but also this is the way of life of podcasting. And this is the way of life for a lot of organizations, companies, educational institutions, and more. So there's a little hint, education. So quick little background on my guest co-host tonight. Uh, he's a serial, we've had a serial entrepreneurs, a serial education technology entrepreneur. And he's uh, started a couple different ed tech companies, higher ed programs that help bridge you know, the skills gap for students and, and all types of curriculum. I've done online education as well. Uh, I've actually got a t- chance to tap with his uh, co-founder as well, uh, co-owner, whatever they're calling you guys these days. Uh, and actually, he's airing me literally virtually from another state that he doesn't even live in. And we are just geeking out a lot. So I just want to get him on the show. We could talk more about the virtual lifestyle and how everything is impacting and growing his business, my business, and everybody else's. Uh, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Jordan, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for having me, Scott. It's great to be with you here. I'm, I'm very excited to... Uh, you know, to chat and learn more about each other. Yeah, so so obviously I'm hinting about virtual and online this and online that. So the beauty is you guys have already doing this before. Well, I, I hate to bring in COVID, but I mean, COVID has really fired up, which is a big part of my brand, fired up this business world for, uh, for our benefit, my benefit from a marketing standpoint, for your benefit from just education. Um, everybody I talk to here has a kid, well, basically as young as five years old, is living the online education life. <laughs> so is, is that basically right up your alley? That is, you know, we, I was actually funny you mentioned that. So I, I um, was thinking about, as you said that, uh, I sat in on an ASU GSV session, which is one of those main um, education technology conferences. And Eric Wan, the founder of Zoom, was on one of the keynotes. And so, you know, they basically said to him, you know, you've literally become overnight the largest provider of education technology in the world. Um, millions, tens of millions of students are primarily getting their education through Zoom now. And, you know, it's a different world. Um, the reality is, you know, what we're trying to do is change how relevant the education is and how much of it is plugged into, you know, industry and career. Um, we want to give students a chance to try it, right? And I think that's a, a real challenge. There's just not enough internships. There's not enough opportunities out there for young talent to really figure out who they are, what skills they have, and, and what they want to do with their lives. And, you know, most of the model these days of, of higher ed is you kind of get them to the finish line. That's like the big goal. Um, and then kind of career is an afterthought. And uh, we kind of want to make it the primary objective. Um, and I so what we're trying to do is, is really give tools and resources. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of them. Well, in, in no joke, because you know, we're joking around about how you didn't realize I'd been a former wildland firefighter as part of my fires and our branding and our logo. But I was a, you know, I'd gone to Penn State when I was younger, then took time off because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my career. And I was trying to work full time going through it. So I've worn a lot of hats in my life before firefighting. My 20s were all over the place. I've been in telecom. I've been in call center management. I've been in IT. I've even tried my, my hat at finance. Hated that. So I outsourced that. <laughs> um, I wish I would have had some type of like self-help guiding system to kind of take me through at least some of 
the virtual steps without me getting too committed. And I wasted a lot of money and a lot of time and to the point where I got frustrated and I start classes up again on nights and weekends. Then I stop and then I was going back to Penn State. Then I found another university that had an online education style adult program. And I just went all in on it. I was like, you know what? I just don't care. I'm going to check that box. I'm going to be the first person in my family with a BS degree. And even with that program, while I was working my way through it, I changed majors three more times. <laughs> so I would have been your perfect candidate back in this would have been that, that was that sector was going on between 2006 and 2010 because 2010 is when I started firefighting. I took a break from the corporate life and I had finished the degree. I'm like, that's it. I'm out <laughs> taking a break. But am I am I right up your alley? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what so you know, one of the beautiful things about your journey is you had, you know, the, I'll use um, an old Yiddish word, but the chutzpah, right, to go out and create your own future. Okay. You know, you had the connection, you had the drive, you, you had the intuition to do that. And I think a lot of the problem is a lot of this, a lot of students have that chutzpah to get to school, right? They, they know that that's a great way to kick off their career, to launch their career. There's about 20 million students you know, between the ages of, you know, 16 and 34, there's technically 80 million people in our country that are in that age audience. So it's not even everyone who gets a chance to do that. And those people don't even get a chance, you know, to get internships and get out there and, and really gain experience. And so, you know, I think that what we need to do as a society and as a community is to support our next generation support you know, emerging leaders that want opportunity, that want to understand how they can make an impact on the world, but don't know how, or don't know where to get started. And so that's what makes you a perfect candidate. Um, although what, what your journey has been all about is, is really experiential learning is, hey, I learned that I don't like finance by going into finance. Right. Um, the reality is, does everybody have a chance to try finance? No, but that's actually what I learned by doing my one internship, my junior year going into senior year, that I was totally not a good fit, you know, for corporate world, for big four accounting, for bureaucracy, for structure. You know, I wanted to be creative. I wanted to build stuff. I wanted to build a team and, and a culture and that product and get people using them and you know, get brutal feedback and, you know, grow. And I think that that's really what I love about being an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I, I didn't discover the entrepreneurial bug, if some people like to call it, until after firefighting, even though I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad has always worked for himself. My younger brother ended up getting into the same type of business as him, but I wanted nothing to do with it. I, did, I wasn't attracted to it. Uh, I saw all my friends when I was younger going to Penn State or going to these schools. They were going to be engineers. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go be an engineer, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the mold. I'm going to do something that's so, to me at the time, so far out there. But again, what was the term guidance counselors back then if they still call them that there's only so much guidance uh, that is provided and i actually feel it's very hopefully it's still to this day i don't want to rip on them too much but there's a lot of people who do passionately take that role seriously but there's also a lot of professionals in those roles that don't take it seriously and then you're just a, another number in the assembly line and i really feel there there's been a strong need for a long time i think because i dug into your site i dug in your platform that's why i have you on the show here today because i'm like I get this. I was like, I need to share this because I I could have benefited from this. Some type of way to kind of role play through or get some guidance. I can work on my own pace, get a taste of this. And is this 
what kind of opened your eyes after your first two ed tech uh, endeavors? And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, this is the missing link is cause like, I think that's part of the entrepreneurial story too. Is like you try, try and like maybe the first two things work great. But it's like, you know what? It's still, still not that magic yet. And then boom, you find this. So how did that work out for you? Yeah. I mean, it, it's so interesting because you know, the reality is, you know, we, we put a lot of pressure on our educators to like solve all of society's problems in the way that they teach and, educate and prepare our youth for the future. I mean, that's the, the main objective of our education system is to prepare our future workforce. Now, the reality is, you know, those people are often in education and never got a chance to enter the workforce in the same way that the 80 to 90% of people do. Um, they're back in education, they spend their careers in education, they train to be an educator. So we cannot expect of them to guide in a way that a professional mentor you know, someone from industry would guide. And so that's kind of the issue, right? That's the gap is that guidance counselors, ed, like higher educators, they, they, they need to be equipped with resources to connect their young audience with industry so that they can open their eyes to that. And that's actually, that's kind of the solution that we're working on is trying to make it easy to manage that. Right, manage you know connecting students with those professionals. Manage the structure of their conversation. Okay. Set the expectations so that they're realistic based on the skills of those students. So you know, I, I would hate to kind of paint a picture that we've nailed it because, frankly, there's so much that there is to to do in the world of education, um, and not to mention like how much of this business model is contingent on getting industry to participate in education, which they otherwise really don't. You know, all that companies really do for the most part in the world of higher ed is show up at the career services fairs and complain that the students aren't prepared, right? right? Yeah, but the reality is, if they're, right, and, 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 and not be involved in the, the training and development of those young, young people in the process, which is what really makes them prepared, right? And it, it, so, you know, just the, the notion of an internship program for companies is talent acquisition, right? They're thinking about building a program to attract young talent because they know that they need young talent to fill those entry-level roles and then eventually grow into leadership positions. Now, the reality of what an internship should be is an opportunity not only to connect with potential, you know, employees and future leaders, not only of your own organization, but of others, right? You're actually connecting with your community, with, you know, the young next gen who has totally different ways of looking at the world. Look at them, you know, as a test, as a testing ground for new products, as for new ideas, you know, and get them to work on projects that are not necessarily high stakes, right? But at the end of the day, what's very important is helping students gain reference-worthy experience. So everything that you and I have mentioned in this conversation about, you know, the, 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 the types of exercise routines and, and, and big, you know, triathlons or, or, um, or, or um, you know, biking events or hiking events that we've done, each one of those comes to mind because it's reference-worthy. It's something that we did that we're proud of, that we overcame and that we learned from. And we didn't we know need what to we're actually that. good at. Right. I mean, we had to at least try it. Uh, this was this was part of our conversation before, before we started hitting record tonight was talking about some of the lifestyle components where it's like I've tried triathlon uh, two years ago and I was like, oh, I realized I need to figure out swimming better. <laughs> like maybe I should actually be an ex a really good swimmer before I throw myself into a competitive event. Eh, you know, just something to consider. But through that trial and error and I love where you're going with this because I've done hiring uh, in, in the corporate world and 
one of the biggest complaints I had from our HR departments was they go to the career fairs or they sponsor their own career fairs. And then as a frontline management, they're feeding us in what they feel meet the criteria for hiring. But then uh, at the time I was working for five years at with the T-Mobile Corporation, big cell phone company, right? I was managing in their call center environments. I was coaching and developing, training people, and then moving into an analyst role. And we found that we had a very high attrition rate. Some people just not, not meant to sit in a call center answering customer service calls. Uh, right. you know, they're just going through the HR questions and it's like, okay, this person fits. It's like, okay, well, I learned over the years of coaching and developing people. I'm like, you may not belong in this style of company or in this role. If you have the mental ability to withstand a, maybe a year or two of this, we can career path you and get you into a better department or another place you want to be. But a lot of these people are like deer in the headlights. They're just happy to get a good wage. Um, hey, we got tuition reimbursement. We got great benefits. So this is a lot of entry-level people either coming fresh out of school or don't even have the college yet. And not that college fixes everything either, by the way. I was going to bring that up to you too because I said the university life did not teach me anything about work ethic, uh, applicable work skills. That was all self-taught through every career hat that I've put on in my life, whether it was from firefighting to corporate life to startup to entrepreneurship now. I have a BS in marketing and psychology. The only thing I still remember from those courses was psychology. All my marketing is constantly being relearned day in and day out. I, I was literally on an educational webinar earlier today for my company, for my business, because I'm always learning new stuff. I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to take a position on that because I know you partner with a lot of institutions, a lot of companies, but I'm like, I truly believe people need to work with these things. They can't just open the book, take a test, get that piece of paper, and you're done. You need to have real-world applications. So I want to throw that one out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's so interesting. So I'll go back to the, our kind of kickoff of the discussion, but like virtual learning. So what what we see is virtual learning is really just the theory, like the theory-based learning that's now being done in a virtual world, which is not experiential learning, right? Like no, we're not changing the way that we're teaching. We're just changing the modality in which the educators connect with students. So obviously the best schools, the most progressive institutions are not only transitioning to virtual, but they're also redesigning their curriculum around optimizing for a virtual environment. So that's the first thing. The second thing is if you think about that, concept right of, of of learning ever since you were a child you were dropped off at school and that's where you learned and then you came home from school and that's where you're not learning right like playing, maybe then you had to do your homework right <laughs> well you're doing exams. homework and and that that's kind of that's kind of bringing school home as of which you know realistically that doesn't really happen anymore as you get older it's like you you don't bring school home but you're kind of like that's your work and then there's non-work and you're doing your leisure stuff and so you know i, I was walking through the museum of natural history um actually right before covid started and it was like the weekend before it like rocked new york and i was just like wandering around like looking and it's like wow like the kids are excited to be here and it's a physical learning space, right? Like you come to a museum to learn, like there's no question that that's like why you're there. You're not coming to like, you know, get exercise and like on your wa Apple watch, like you're going to a museum because you are curious and you want to learn. And I think one of the things that we've done about the way that we educate and the way that we move people from school to school, to school, to school, to school, to school is we we, we don't ever detach the physical requirement of school from the psychological part of school, right? Like I think school is 
is opting into a learning mindset. And I think that what people need training on, as you've pointed out, like work ethic, it's really curiosity. It's really, you know, drive, knowing where to search, knowing what to look for, knowing who to talk. Engaged, right? Right. And that's why the big, that's a big topic in education is engagement, which is extremely hard to measure is like, do students like learning whatever it is that we're teaching them? What you just said is like, it's hard to measure. Same thing in marketing. People are like, oh, I got to increase my engagement. I'm like, okay, we can look at the insight profiles off of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, look at your data. But in the end, like a lot of this is still a trial and error, right? It's going to be testing it and applying it. So I just thought it was funny because like, the way you said it, it's straight out of the marketing you know, uh, vernacular. It's like, oh, yeah, how, how do we increase engagement? How do we measure it? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and frankly, like, you know, I, that's one of the other things that's pretty interesting about like where we're at in the development of higher ed is, you know, learning management systems came out in the 90s. It was the first time that technology was introduced to like help the learning become easier to manage and more online. Now, the interesting thing is when you start putting everything online, now everything is measurable. And now we're beginning to learn, oh, wow, like certain things don't really work at all. Other things don't really work well. Um, and, you know, and other things are just putting people at a just total disadvantage by, by doing that. And so I think a lot of school currently, first of all, the K-12 system you know, is, is a lot of providing structure for kids so that parents can work. Right. And then the other part is like, oh, and we want them to, to leave here, you know, slightly more informed citizens of the law, of, you know, the government, of the world around them, of language, of arts, of math. You know, those are foundational skills. But at some point you need to figure out you need to turn your switch of like I'm learning foundations of like how to exist as a human to how I can be the best version of myself, how I can change the world in a way that resonates with me. And I think that that is where school really fails people. I think that we don't, we, like, as far as standardized tests are concerned and, like, okay, getting people to line up in rows, you know, we're great at that. But the reality is that's not what learning should be. Learning should not be tied to a physical space. And, frankly, we just shock the system. And there's a whole new world now of, like, what is learning if it doesn't require that I physically show up at school to learn, yeah. right? Like, does that mean I'm learning when I'm Googling? Yeah. Does it mean I'm learning when I'm watching YouTube videos? Yeah, if they're the right ones, created by the right people, YouTube talking about the right name YouTube University now, right? You can pretty much search for anything. It's one. It's the second largest search engine platform out there, uh, except you have supporting video content to work with. <laughs> right. right. Well, it's supported by the largest, you know. So it's that's what makes it. It's very interesting that that early acquisition of of YouTube, and it's almost that kind of reminds me of the. Instagram, like the Facebook Instagram move where it's yep. not coming and, you know, tiny is like, Hey, like Facebook is, is, is like a community tool. It's not a picture tool. Right. Although people were using it as a picture tool. And that was a, that was a good Mark Zuckerberg move, yeah. you know, very, you know, very early on, obviously the value of Instagram is much more what they paid for it. Um, and they needed to, you know, to keep innovating. Cause frankly, like, you know, I think there, I was looking, you know, all these things come out at the beginning of the year. Here's our anticipation of what's to change this year. And I think there's a lot of consensus that like Facebook is really losing a lot of their, you know, of their steam in, as to what creates value for their users. And like, they're just, there's such a big marketplace that they're kind of losing all of it, right? They're losing the, the ability to job. They have the marketplace in purchasing. They have Photos, no one writes on each other's walls anymore. They only argue with strangers. Like and it's and just- your, your newsfeed is so inundated that 
you're not seeing what you want to see as a user. You're seeing what they want you to see. It's, it's become actually a very business-based platform too, even though they clean the community. I, again, I, I, I do this as a business. And I'm like, guys, like, I literally have clients that I'm currently working on projects now to help them take their communities off of there because there's so many algorithms controlling everything now. It, they've lost a lot of the engagement that they need with their private communities and things like Facebook groups, right? Like, my guys, like, if you really want to have full 100% control of your community, get them off of there because now all of a sudden there's new things happening where if you like literally my one my one community group that has 20 twenty thousand people in it they just like to share stories of transformations right uh what they've learned from health and nutrition and everything else so somebody posted bacon fat in a sentence because it's good for you facebook removed it and we couldn't stop the removal of it they they said it was against facebook's community guidelines so it was like even They've actually got they've gotten so too smart with their tech and their AI stuff that they're impacting other things. So that's why platforms like you guys need to exist, right? Like I tell people, tell them like you might not want to be 100% dependent on let's say Facebook or whatever other thing. You're like maybe you want to build some other platforms and other engagement that care about creating actual engagement, actual exchange of information and knowledge, and really help promote learning. Uh, not oh well, if you if you see this in your newsfeed, go buy that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's that's V1 of platforms and marketplaces. I mean, there's this incredible book. There's this incredible book, you know, plat- Platform Evolution. Oh, yeah. um, and, it, and it talks about, I mean, it's like the early days of Airbnb and Uber and um, and all of the social media, you know, outlets. And they even talked about like some of the failed 90s companies, you know, pets.com, all that stuff um, to, to really kind of drive home some of the points that like, you know, a, a marketplace is not necessarily a platform. Right. No, a, pla- a marketplace is a platform. A platform is not necessarily a marketplace. And like all the diving into the details of, you know, what it means to bring people together and what types of results you're trying to drive from their interactions and what data you start collecting on them. And now we're living in a world where, you know, it's not just the data, but it's the AI tools that are being built to analyze that data. Yep. And so like, you know, we're, we're on like version two, version three, version four of, of platforms. And we only, I mean, it's never, it's not going anywhere, right? Like all of this stuff, it's amazing. Internet drops in a place, you know, what do people do, right? Like literally for an hour and a half, you know, all of, you know, Broward County, Florida lost AT&T uh, internet oh. for like an hour and a half, right? Like, just 90 minutes. like, what are people doing, right? Like, what Especially are they doing? Now, right. Are they going to go for a walk? Like, probably not. Like they're, they're, they're feverishly on their phone praying that they don't have AT&T because that was out too. Right. Like, yeah, at like least- well, wait a minute. Do I have any physical books in the house that I can actually open and actually physically read? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's going to be a outage is going to be a scary thing for, for people to wrestle with because like, think about like, you know, you know, Slack and, and Google have been having issues in the beginning of this year so far, yep. you know, like we couldn't, use our web conferencing. We use Google meets for that oh. um, and communicate with our team. And like Capsular is a fully virtual team. We, ever since we started, you know, my, my first business, um, I started right out of college. We started it while I was in college. So I was physically there with my, my colleagues, my friends who became my co-founders. We, you know, we thought, okay, here's how you build a business. There's like a roadmap for this. You get an office space and you try to fill it with people. And you oh. fill the bank account with money. Fill the all that office. overhead, all that overhead. Nope. Yeah. 
And I, I realized, I was like, first of all, I think I'm a better leader in a virtual environment. I, I don't, I don't think that you need to physically show up and, you know, do the song and dance and this, the t- typical schmoozing. Like, I think that I, I like being in a virtual environment, having my one hour in the beginning of the week to talk to the team and facilitate discussion about our goals for the week and then let them go, right? Let them go. There's no swivel chair management going on at cap source. We got, we got no way to do that. All we care about is are we communicating using our communication tools? Are we project managing using our project management tools? You know, are, are we, are we, are we interrupting between different departments? Because that's, you know, a big thing for and growing business. Time zones, right? If your whole team is virtual, there's different time zones. Like right now you're, I think you said you're in Florida. I'm in Pennsylvania. So we're good. We're the same time zone. I know one of your people's right. in Colorado. We were just talking about Colorado before uh, the podcast. Uh, you said you're going to probably get ahead to New York to see your family soon. So it's like, okay, but like, do you have people on the West Coast? I don't know. Do you? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, so we, like, have, we have people across every U.S. time zone and, you know, multiple in the Middle East and Asia. Okay, so cool. the reality, you know, we're, we're dealing with a, a global team, a, a very complicated time zone issue. Unfortunately, I think the the state of affairs for us is we operate on East Coast, even when, you know, most of the team is not living in the East Coast, but you got to kind of stick to a time zone because it's just unfair to ask people to constantly change the the time, the clocks and, and ask people to move around. So like our team exclusively talks to each other in Eastern time, even if it's two people that are not trying to book time um, in the Eastern time zone, because it just makes the clock run on time, if you will. Um, so I think that's a really good tactic for dealing with, um, you know, especially an international team. But you know, sometimes it requires waking up early, getting on the getting on the horn late, and and just doing what you got to to keep aligned. And you know, that's kind of the twenty first cent. That that's the trade off for being a virtual team is that you know I, you gotta you gotta make a new, sure. uh, a new virtual assistant, and they're gonna be based in the Philippines, and I'm doing that on purpose. I want them in a different time zone. So obviously it's going to change how like my past designers, when I write to work on branding project, it's nice to be able to hop on the same time zone call, but I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to do short snippet, you know, uh, training videos, right? Hey, this is how we do that process. And I already have our processes documented, but because it's going to be a different training, I don't want to make that person uh, succumb to my time requirements. I, I feel it's my duty as a, you know, modern day online entrepreneur to figure out a way to mold people and develop people into my business practices virtually. So uh, I'm kind of trying to do virtual learning literally within my own organization. And and the great thing is the technology is there. Like I already use systems like Trello. We can chat each other. Um, I have private video uh, systems so I can upload short educational videos into a library, tag it back and forth. Like I've already got stuff in place. So it's cool to have the tech we have today. And, and that's what you guys are doing because again, your primary, you have, Three primary platform engagements, right? Educators, industry partners, and then the students, right? Those are your three main service yeah. worlds, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah. So we, so we have. It's basically a two-sided marketplace, which is industry and academic. You know, partners can come and connect with each other, and ultimately run internship-like programs, right? You can do a capstone project. You can do a field study. You could do student consulting, MBA consulting. Call it whatever you want. We just want students to be able to connect with industry um, through really cool. That. While you're saying that, like here's some of your academic yeah. and industry partners. So, yeah, thanks for bringing this up. Yeah. So, oh, by the way, ladies so, and yeah. gentlemen, capsource.io is the website URL we're talking about tonight. So feel free to go check that out. It'll be in the show notes. So, yeah, yeah. some yeah. big names on here. 
Yeah, thank you. I mean, obviously, we're extremely proud of, of these partners. And, you know, this is just a, a drop in the bucket compared to, you know, some of the other folks that we've been working with. So um, one of the, the cool things about CapSource is, you know, we're, we're, we're building a pipeline, right, a pipeline between education and industry. Uh, ultimately, we need both sides involved, but the purpose, the beneficiary is the student, the learner. And of course, companies don't call them students, right? They're calling them candidates. They're calling it talent, entry-level talent. Yes, I did see so, that you have uh, recruitment support. You have talent acquisition. Is, is, uh, some good branding on that. So people don't want to be just the employer. Yeah. I'm talent. Here we go. I'll share that again. Right. Right. It's true. And, and, and that's, that, that is the issue you know, in the world of education to work, you know, transitioning is that the language used by education and the language used by work is totally different. <laughs> and we're trying to build a platform that enables both sides to communicate with each other in a language that we feel works. So, you know, you pulled up the formats. I mean, that's a good example, right? Like schools call them capstones, but when we pitch it to companies, we don't call it capstones. Why? Because a company doesn't really know what a capstone is, right? So it's, it's very interesting. We That's call it MBA consulting, student consulting, you know, field work, field studies, like things that really resonate with companies. Um, I think the key is making it easy to manage. And that's really what we're investing into heavily now is that we have a marketplace, we have a tool that gets them in touch and allows them to structure a mutually beneficial project, right? So students is going to work on a go-to-market strategy for, you know, a Bitcoin ATM provider, right? And so like, that's what the student's going to work on. Obviously the key to making this high impact for the student is making it real. So it's a real company with a real challenge. That's what makes it reference worthy. You can add something to your LinkedIn that says, I was a student consultant for CoinSource. And uh, they're a partner that we've worked with a whole lot that does Bitcoin ATMs. And that was their I challenge. I play in the Bitcoin world. I'm, up, I'm hip. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and the, the reality about what I love the most about CapSource is the fact that I am chasing curiosity, right? I'm trying to figure out how to create a business here. I'm also trying to figure out how to continue learning about different industries, new terminology, new tools. What a great way to do that is to continue to, you know, network with new companies that have new challenges and getting next gen talent who un untethered, unscathed, they have nothing, no preconceived notions about what the world of work is like, ask them a question and see what they come up with. You should see what these students put together, videos, interactive, you know, websites, you know, pitch decks, like go to market, you know, marketing materials, strategies. I mean, it's just, it's, and it's all using their perspective, right? It's using their own perspective, which is like unencumbered by anything that any manager has shot down, you know, their, their hopes and dreams, you know, oh, that's too expensive, so right? Freedom, which is key right now. You want to see what they're capable of coming up with without being jaded or, or you have the blinders on, right? Like I want to see what you're capable of throwing at me. I love that. Yeah. I mean, and, that, and, and the reality is what a great way to hire people, right? I mean, I think everyone, I mean, this is a kind of an age old philosophy is the case assessments, right? But that's, we're doubling down into that um, as a tool to get students paired up with the right companies for the internships, right? So the first thing is like, can you answer this basic challenge, which requires that I learn about the company. It requires that I learn about their, their challenges in different departments. It requires that I practice using some tools that I likely will need to use. And then after that, it's like, okay, let's double click on this one. 
let's give them a real project to work on. That's going to take four weeks. And now they have more expectations, milestones, deliverables, someone to talk to at the company. And now you're, you have an entry-level talent pipeline. You're able to recruit and hire them to really make an impact on your organization. And you know, it's, we call it experiential hiring because the experiential learning is such a powerful tool. But can we potentially do that as a hiring method? I think the answer is yes. It just, you know, it has to be framed differently. It's definitely for- going to help save time and time is money, right? So you're definitely going to help an organization save time just because I, again, I've been involved with the recruiting and the hiring and the training and then obviously that and the firing, which is the worst part of a leadership position. You don't, you hate that actually let somebody go. But if you could have qualified that person, I love quality over quantity, right? If we could have qualified that person and their talents at a much higher level before they even got into that pipeline, I mean, that's huge. You have a much better alignment of skill set and abilities uh, before wasting all that time. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, you you got to, it's a mutual fit, right? It's about making a mutual fit because also the, the reality is like you and I have the same shared story. We tried the world of accounting and finance briefly. It wasn't a good fit for us. Yeah. And like, it's our, it's our responsibility as hiring organizations to help people get a taste. And so just right before this call, I was on the phone with, you know, a, a potential new uh, employee for our academic partnerships department. He has all these ideas about how he wants to create value for the business and come up with new customer acquisition strategies. So we literally were like, okay, put together a plan and let's get started. And if it works, then we'll actually put together a full-time, you know, way for you to engage with our business. But otherwise, like, you know, yes, we could do this because we're a startup and it's, it's kind of nice to be able to say to people, Hey, you know, this is, if you want, to prove that you deserve compensation, the very little that we have to go around, you you know, that you got to prove it. And so I think that, you know, obviously what we're trying to do is remove the risk and also provide structure where, you know, the, the operative requirement of an internship is that it's technically designed more for the candidate as a learning experience than it is for the company as labor, right? Like, but if you manage that properly, the actual outcome of that experience will be so valuable to the organization and you can hire the best performing talent that wants to be hired, right? Like that we've run internship programs before where the students opt out of the hiring funnel because they're like, wow, like it was really cool to work for the American Cancer Society or the Ronald McDonald House charities, you know, but I don't want to be a nonprofit, right? right? So I'm going to go a different direction. Do you have any- They took away some experiences that at least helped them realize that. And because uh, that's what I love about this, too, is you're not just saving the company time and money. Like I said, that as somebody who has I don't want to ever say that I've wasted time at a role. I think it's you should always take value out of everything you experience in life. And the big key where there's experience that I, I see you guys bringing to the table is that is that you're bringing experience to the candidate. They get to actually experience projects and things and then say, great, I loved it. I learned a lot. I can't wait to see how I can apply this later in life or in the next position, but I'm good. I, you know what? Let's 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 not go the nonprofit route. Let's go in into the for-profit world and see. Who knows? I might end up falling back on that skill or that project a year or two from now. Who knows? So. And that that exact thing, that concept, is goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is internship programs should not just exist as a talent acquisition funnel. They have to exist to 
educate and train our next generation and as an employer branding tool, right? It's saying, okay, I'm going to provide these young professionals with an opportunity to prove themselves and learn from our team and our organization and the impact that we're trying to make on the world. Some of them will ultimately become our incoming, you know, fresh talent. Other ones will be our future leaders. And some of them will be leaders in the future of other organizations. And they'll remember their time with us and they'll remember the tool that we offer. And God willing, what goes around comes around. That's true. I was gonna say, hey, they get into a leadership position. I'm like, hey man, if CapSource is still around, that did great for me. I I need to get that aligned with our organization, see if they can help us out too. I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, the reality is you got to, I mean, people want to learn. I think that, I think there's like, if, if you can build a culture around learning, that's what we're trying to do at CapSource, not only as a product and, you know, the philosophy that we sell and facilitate, but also as a team, right? Like we're trying to basically create an endless amount of curiosity and digging, you know, and, and, and of course, like it is work, like you have to hustle, right? Like that's what makes, that's what makes the wheel turn. But at the end of the day, like, can we make that, you know, a process that is about building more efficiency into it, building more effectiveness into our process. And so is that something that gets people excited? Or do you say, hey, you had a great experience in our product team, let's move you over to marketing now so that you can take all of what you learned in product and really help us market better. And so like that rotationary aspect is also something else that you could do, especially with entry level talent that's still trying to figure it out. Um, and so we've seen some good use cases for our technology and our, our process. For, my old for, term back in the day was uh, a cross-functional benefit. It just popped back in my mind from like 15 years ago. I was like, I was like, listen, I was like, we're going to try you over here. Just, you know, it, we, we want to see if we can establish a cross-functional benefit. You're bringing this skill over to here and this team needs that skill. So let's see if you can cross-pollinate as well. There's another good fun buzzword for you. I love that because like, it, it's funny because like part of your bio, you have your personal backgrounds, right? Like you have, I'm a hiker. You like hiking, you like cooking and traveling and sailing and tennis and obviously public speaking because we're on a podcast here. But all of those things weren't always in place. Like you had to experience it. And then like I, I, I like skydiving and mountain biking and, and uh, we're, we're about to head to Colorado to go skiing. So I'm definitely more on the adrenaline sports side. Uh, but one thing I've always told people like, oh, I, I've always wanted to, that, that classic. So I always wanted to try this. or I always wanted to see if it was like that. Or, oh, I don't know. That's that's pretty. I don't know if I can jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Right. And I said, listen, like any other experience in life, the first time is always going to be the hardest. Everything gets easier after that. And then like you, you've been just talking about, OK, well, then maybe after one or two times you don't love it. But that's at least brought the threshold down of, of like that. Basically, you shrunk the speed bump or you shortened the hurdle. And now it's like, you know what, let me take that new bravery and apply it to this other thing and see if I end up falling in love with that. Like, I, I clearly am not looking forward to ever becoming like an amazing triathlete. My wife does it. Uh, your girl does it. I was like, I, I'm good. Like, I, I've never been a great swimmer. I'm happy to crush it on the bike or, you know, I've done the running thing. I've done the marathon thing. I got that out of my system. My two primary sports are cycling and skiing these days, and I'm in my 40s. So I know what I love, but I've tried, at least tried it all. <laughs> So I'm always moving that into the next next window of opportunity. So, yeah, and I think you know it's all about seeking mentorship, right? And I think that's you know you can get a lot of that from educators, but you can't get all of it. And if, especially the industry part—that's what we we're talking about earlier. You know, at some point, you're asking of someone something that they cannot help you with. They cannot help you understand, you know, the bureaucracy of trying to get 
you know, something done as part of a, you know, a management consulting firm team or what it's like to build a product and get feedback from customers and iterate. Like they might know the theory behind customer service or the, the theory behind like management consulting or product development, but at some point you need to intermingle that theoretical approach with a mentor who can expose you to the real tools and the real stakes and the real challenges and the really good educator. I mean, that that's the other thing I, I really love. So obviously we get to talk to companies about their challenges and connect them with students who have bright, big, bright ideas. And then we also get to talk to the most innovative educators that say, hey, I get that. I understand why students want to get more reference-worthy experience to add to their resume and talk about on interviews. So let's build it into my curriculum. Let's make my marketing class about building a marketing strategy for Burger King or DoorDash, right? Or how those two companies can work together. And like that is a cool opportunity. But what makes it real is the fact that that company has that interest in a solution. Otherwise, it's just a thought exercise. And I think that's where the real stakes come into to play is really giving people a chance to work, to chew on something, right? Like you're actually saying, think about this. This is something that we're trying to do. DoorDash did a huge competition with students this year, said post-COVID meals at universities, what's it gonna look like? How do we play into the environment? What a perfect use of student resources. They came up with consult. They literally were- And those teams are already going through and living through it. So they're going to be inspired and motivated to figure that out, right? I think that's a genius project. Right. And, you you know, for them, they, they added a financial incentive to the winning team and, you know, God willing internships to the folks that top perform the best. Like that's what really creates momentum for the future. Because the reality is these people, first of all, obviously DoorDash also, you know, can acquire customers by working with them as students. That, that's kind of a nice need, but not every company can technically, you know, sell anything to a college age student. So how do they look at it? Well, the reality is bright ideas, totally unencumbered, unique perspectives to bring to the table. And we can't, as, as leaders, like that's the, why, why do mentors mentor? right? Like that's, that's the psyche that we're tapping into is that if you had something that you could teach other people, it would excite you to do that, right? It's, it excites people to mentor others. And so what we're trying to do is say, you are an expert in your field. Let's find students who want to learn that, right? And let you mentor them and God willing, you'll change their lives. I mean, that's the amazing thing about like educating is and mentoring and facilitating a learning experience is that people can walk away from this with a totally new perspective on the world. And that is what changes our future. I, I love where you're going with that. It's actually perfect because we're bringing the show towards a close anyway, because I literally made a post, by the way, about that like a few weeks back about like, listen, a mentor of mine a long time ago said, this guy's like, every single one of us know at least 60% more about a, a certain subject than most of the people in your inner circle, right? So he's like, that right there is an educational opportunity. Could be an opportunity to build a business. Could be an opportunity to build a platform. We don't know, but it's like, think about those things that excite you, right? And and I think the biggest thing, what you're coming off of there, for me anyway, is that for years, I, I pushed a lot of motivational content when I first found it, Live the Fuel before the podcast. And then as I grew and worked with people and I helped people, I realized, wait a minute, it's not so much about the motivation. It's really the inspiration that keeps you going. Motivation became more short, short term for me. That's like, hey, I wake up every morning and I'm out in my garage gym at 7 a.m. putting in the work. But what inspires me to do that? Great, I got a big ski trip coming up or I got a bike race or 
or a virtual bike race is a thing nowadays, right? So I'm going to train for a virtual bike race, right? Whatever it may be, like the motivation is a short term for me now. The inspiration is what triggers the long term commitments. And for me, that's a big deal. So on that note, as we bring this show to a close, um, I ask my guest co-hosts to leave behind, for years I said the final words of the show, but I've grown with meeting great people like you and organizations that truly care. And I say, you know what, what is, what's a legacy message? What's something that behind everything you've learned so far and what you're doing with CapSource or just maybe you personally that you would want to leave behind for the audience that you think is like a great legacy message to maybe inspire some people listening because they forgot everything else we talked about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'll stick with this kind of mentor notion and just say that the best way to learn is to teach. Um, it's a great you know, tactic for you know, teaching and you know, employees how to perform better is to give them someone something to teach so that they can learn it better. Because you, you forget, you neglect to think about how much documenting goes into teaching, right? Like you're like, oh, if I'm gonna try to teach someone how to use our CRM, like I should probably explain like what a CRM is and compare it to other ones and talk about why we use it. And like some of that, that prep process gets you to think more deeply about why you use these tools. So the reality is if you are trying to empower your team, motivate your team, or motivate yourself, right? Find someone to mentor, find something to teach other people. And you I think you'll live a more fulfilled life. I love that, good point. And actually, great way to close out. Fulfillment there at the end. Thank you, that's a great message to close out on. Hang tail, I'm gonna pop your goodbye off the air. Again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one last screen share uh, just for some brand presence because I love marketing. But again, capsource.io is the site. We'll have it linked in the show notes once this airs in the podcast world. This is already streamed live uh, here on the Facebook world here in January, 2020. Uh, so again, make sure you check them out. I love the integration. I love the cross-functional benefits of this platform. It's super cool. I love bringing on edgy things that are just making a difference, especially as we move forward 2021 and beyond. So ladies and gentlemen, again, we're here to fuel your health, your business and your lifestyle. Jordan with CapSource helped us do that today. Uh, so as I kind of hinted at, let's not just get motivated here. Let's stay inspired. Maybe think of something you could teach other people. Uh, check this out. Check out yourself with your own brand growth, your own opportunities online, and let's keep moving forward, everyone. So again, thanks for tuning in. And remember, you too can live the fuel. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you for subscribing to Live the Fuel. Stay connected on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Live the Fuel. And remember, you too can live the fuel. So please visit us at livethefuel.com.